Chapter 15 of Chip of the Flying U. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marty on the Central Coast of California. Chip of the Flying U by B. M. Bauer. Chapter 15 The Spoils of Victory. I wish while I'm gone you'd paint me another picture. Will you? Please? When a girl has big gray eyes that half convince you that they are not gray at all, but brown or blue at times, and a way of using them that makes a fellow heady like champagne, and a couple of dimples that will dodge into her cheeks just when a fellow is least prepared to resist them, why, what can a fellow do but knuckle under and say yes? especially when she lets her head tip to one side a little and says, Please, like that. Chip tried not to look at her, but he couldn't help himself very well while she stood directly in front of him. He compromised weakly instead of refusing, point blank, as he told himself he wanted to do. I don't know. Maybe I can't again. Maybe you can, though. Here's an 18 by 24 canvas. And here are all the paints I have in the house, and the brushes. I'll expect to see something worthwhile when I return. Well, but if I can't... Look here. Straight in the eye, if you please. Now, you will try. Chip, looking into her eyes that were laughing, but with a certain earnestness behind the laugh, threw up his hands. Mentally, you know. Yes, I'll try. How long are you going to be gone? Oh, perhaps a week, she said lightly, and Chip's heart went heavy. You may paint any kind of picture you like, but I'd rather you did something like The Last Stand, only better, and put your brand, as you call it, in one corner. You won't sell it, will you? The words slipped out before he knew. No, no, I won't sell it. It won't be mine. It's for yourself this time. Then there won't be any picture said Chip shortly. Oh, yes, there will, smiled the little doctor, sweetly, and went away before he could contradict her. Perhaps a week. Heavens! That was seven days, and every day had at least sixteen waking hours. How would it be when it was years then, when Dr. Cecil Grantham, er, no, I won't. The invective attached to that gentleman's name was something not to be repeated here. At any rate, a week was a long, long time to put in without any gray eyes, or any laugh, or any dimples, or, in short, without the little doctor. He could not see, for his part, why she wanted to go gadding off to the falls with Len Adams and the school ma'am anyway. Couldn't they get along without her? They'd always had before she came out to the country. But for that matter, so had he. The problem was, how was he going to get along without her for the rest of his life? What did they want to stay a week for? Couldn't they buy everything they wanted to in a day or so? And the giant spring wasn't such great shakes, nor the Rainbow Falls, that they need to hang around town a week just to look at them. And the picture. What was he such a fool for? Couldn't he say no with a pair of gray eyes staring into his? and seemed not. He supposed he must think up something to daub on there. The poorer the better. The first day, 
Chip smoked something like two dozen cigarettes, gazed out across the coulee till his eyes ached, glared morosely at the canvas on the easel, which stared back at him till the dull blankness of it stamped itself upon his brain and he could see nothing else, look where he might. Whereupon he gathered up hat and crutches and hobbled slowly down the hill to tell Silver his troubles. The second day threatened to be like the first. Chip sat by the window and smoked. But, little by little, the smoke took form and substance, until, when he turned his eyes to the easel, a picture looked back at him, even though to other eyes the canvas was yet blank and waiting. There was no Johnny this time to run at his beckoning. He limped about on his crutches, collected all things needful, and sat down to work. As he sketched and painted, with a characteristic rapidity that was impatient of the slightest interruption, yet patient in its perfectness of detail, the picture, born of the smoke, grew steadily upon the canvas. It seemed, at first, that the last stand was to be repeated. There were the same jagged pinnacles and scrubby pines, held in the fierce grip of the frozen Chinook. The same? But there was a difference not to be explained, perhaps, but certainly to be felt. The little doctor's hills were jagged, barren hills. Her pines were very nice pines indeed. Chip's hills were jagged. They were barren. They were desolate. His pines were shuddering, lonely pines, for he had wandered alone among them and had caught the message of the wilderness. His sky was the cold, sinister sky of the last stand, but it was colder, more sinister, for it was night. A young moon hung low in the west, its face half-hidden behind a rift of scurrying snow-clouds. The tiny basin was shadowy and vague, the cut bank a black wall touched here and there by a quivering shaft of light. There was no threatening cow with lowered horns and watchful eye. There was no panic-stricken calf to whip up her flagging courage with its trust in her. The wolves? Yes, there were wolves, but there were more of them. They were not sitting in a waiting half-circle. They were scattered, unwatchful. Two of them in the immediate foreground were wrangling over a half-gnawed bone. The rest of the pack were nosing a heap pitifully eloquent. As before? So now they tricked the eye into a fancy that they lived. One could all but hear the snarls of the two standing boldly in the moonlight, the hair all bristly along the necks, the white fangs gleaming between tense-drawn lips. One felt tempted to brace oneself for the rush that was to come. For two days Chip shut himself in his room and worked through the long hours of daylight, jealous of the minutes darkness stole from him. He clothed the feast in a merciful shade which hid the repugnance and left only the pathos, two long, sharp horns which gleamed in the moonlight that were no longer threatening. He centered his energy upon the two wolves in the foreground, grimly determined that Slim should pray for a Gatling gun when he saw them. The third day, when he was touching up the shoulders of one of the combatants, a puff of wind blew open the door which led to the parlor. He did not notice it and kept steadily at work, painting his brand into a corner, beneath the stump 
and at Splinter he lettered his name, a thing he had never done before. Well, I'll be doggone. Chip jumped half out of his chair, giving his lame ankle a jolt which made him grind his teeth. Darn it, Chip, did you do that? It kind of looks that way, don't it? Chip was plainly disconcerted, and his ankle hurt. Hmm. The old man eyed it sharply a minute. It's a wonder you wouldn't paint in a howl or two while you're at it. I suppose that's a mate to... Doggone you, Chip, why didn't you tell us you painted that other one? I didn't, said Chip, getting red and uncomfortable. Except the cow and... Yes, except the part that makes the picture worth the paint it's done with, snorted the old man. I must say I never thought that Adele... Thought what? flared Chip, hotly forgetting everything but that the little doctor was being censured. It was her picture. She started it and intended to finish it. I painted on it one day when she was gone, and she didn't know it. I told her not to tell anyone I had anything to do with it. It wasn't her fault. Huh, grunted the old man, as if he had his own opinion on the matter. Well, it's a rattling good picture, but this one's better. Poor old Diamond Bar. She couldn't come through with it, after all. She put up a good fight out there alone, but she had to go under, her and her calf. He stood quiet a minute, gazing and gazing. Doggone them measly wolves. Why in thunder can't a feller pump lead into him like he wants to? Chip's heart glowed within him. His technique was faulty, his colors daring, perhaps, but his triumph was for that the greater. If men could feel his pictures, and they did. That was the joy of it. They did. Darn them snarling brutes, anyway. I thought it was doggone queer if Dell could dab away all her life at nice, common things that you only think is purty, and then blossom out all of a sudden, with one like that other was, that you felt all up and down your back. The little cheat. She'd no business to take the glory of that and like she done. I'll give her thunder when she gets back. You won't do anything of the kind, said Chip quietly, too quietly not to be menacing. I tell you that it was my fault. I gave her all I did to the picture, and I told her not to say anything. Do you think I don't know what I owe to her? Do you think I don't know she saved Silver's life, and maybe mine? Forty pictures wouldn't square me with the little doctor, not if they were a heap better than they are, and she claimed every damn one. I'm doing this, and I'll thank you not to buy in where you're not wanted. This picture is for her, too. But I don't want the thing shouted from the housetops. Will you go out? I wish you'd shut the door. The old man, thoroughly subdued, took the hint. He went out, and he shut the door. End of chapter 15 Read by Marty on the Central Coast of California